Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am here with Marius Torkelsen. Yay. Hey. Hey, Marius. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for uh, having me. Like whenever people want to hear me say anything about anything, I'm like always flattered right away. So yeah, I, I, I will do whatever. And especially this. Dude, so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're both stoked. Yeah. Now, I, I've heard you say what your last name means. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me what your last name means? I, I, I think it only means like the son of Thorkild. Thorkild. Yeah. And is Thorkild a goddess or a I, god? I, or? He, he could be. He, uh, like it's, it's like the Norwegian surname convention is kind of that uh, it used to be like it is in Iceland, if you know, where everyone is kind of, is named the son or dotter. Yeah. At the end, we meet it like the daughter of or the son of. Yeah. So uh, at some point when someone kind of con concocted this last name, then uh, maybe Thorkel was a god. Maybe it was just like a boring person. You, you, just like <laughs> someone was his son and they wanted to let people know. So let's go with God. Yeah. Let's go Let's go with the god, god of comedy. But, but you can also say like, if you break it down even more, it's like Thor, which is the god of thunder. Mm -hmm. And then Kill, which is awesome. And yeah. then Sun. So... Thor killed his son. You could you could huh. kind of interpret it that way if you wow. if you want to be wrong. I'm always wrong when yeah, it comes yeah. to interpretations. <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah. Shit. Are you are you interested in Norse mythology? Are you are you kind of like uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like no. I, I wouldn't say interested, but I I found it really cool. Like when we whenever we kind of learn about it in in uh, like uh, preliminary school or. Uh, high school or whatever mm -hmm. and there was also this also this like tv series uh that animated the uh, like stop motion thing almost uh that uh that uh was on norwegian tv when i was a kid yeah it's kind of told all this like norse mythology uh stories yeah. uh, and and it's it's so much kind of cooler than the all, all the other religions in the sense that it's much more murder and backstabbing and yeah. like giant snakes and dogs and whatever so i feel like it's it's maybe like the best best mythology is like it's like the roman or like greek mythology but with like ugly people in a way like it's, yeah it's it's really entertaining yeah yeah i mean i i love the idea that there is a pig that they ate every night and then he got reanimated the next day and then they could just keep feasting on him oh, forever was that a thing yeah that was a thing <laughs> that's the thing i can't remember the name i think the pig's name might have been like Sermnif or whatever yeah. his fucking name is but there was a, a pig that they feasted on every night in valhalla I, I think it's kind of fascinating when when you uh think about especially like myths and, and stories and stuff that like these are the things that people of that is kind of a time capsule into what the people of that time dreamt about and feared and it's very kind of con very, very kind of concrete dreams and very concrete fears they were really afraid of like a big dog mm -hmm. that was really scared to them now it's just like the for us them like modern people who are afraid of not fulfilling our destiny uh, mm. which is very vague yeah but they were like ah, oh, big dog that's scary and and the dream was that ah, oh, pig every day that sounds yeah that's, that's it. what that's what what the gods would have that's like, the oh, dream yeah. a pig every day <laughs> yeah. and, and now we just call it like aisle four for yeah. supermarket yeah <laughs> yeah it, it is it is really interesting and like i'm kind of like uh you know as as i'm been living in Norway longer and longer and i always meet people that have a, a name like you, you do yeah Thor Kilsen. yeah 
I always kind of get fascinated by the origins of the names and then by the mythology and yeah. then like what what spawned all these ideas and all these beliefs because yeah. like like you said like back in the day like they were terrified of snakes or big dogs and wolves and things yeah. like that and now it seems like people are terrified of public speaking. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like a big shift from, you know, being scared of uh, a snake or drowning to okay, now the number one phobia is standing uh, in front of people and talking. Yeah, maybe that will spawn like a whole new kind of uh, religion. Like he dared to. Maybe we are the gods then, because we <laughs> comedians we stand up in front of people. We and might be. Will the myths of of tomorrow? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dude, what do you think? Like, I mean, I wouldn't like. I mean, comedians are starting to take a bigger and bigger spotlight in 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 the world. You know what I mean? Like, you've got obviously people who are super influential now, like uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah. But even the president of Ukraine. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was a comedian who did a TV show yeah. and then later on became the president. Yeah. Isn't that kind of interesting the evolution that comedians are taking because for some reason they seem to be people that you can trust and rely on. Yeah, I I I think it's so scary that I mean I I, I don't like that at all like <laughs> I'm, I'm, cause I I feel like too much pressure. No, no, yeah, I mean it's a bit of pressure also it, it also cuz it's like several kind of nuances to that same thing because one of the things is that kind of uh, a way into kind of becoming a, a, a celebrity or an influencer or whatever is kind of you can you can't you can be a comedian but then you also have to have opinions on things so you, you're yeah. a comedian but you also you're also for free speech I guess you should be in, mm. in a way but like you're really <laughs> for like uh, women's rights or 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 like you you really kind of into you have this like political agenda and uh, etc and somehow because you're good at kind of formulating ideas in an entertaining way mm. then you can suddenly go from just making jokes to, to formulating really kind of poignant kind of opinions about uh, matters that people discuss mm. and then suddenly you walk you kind of blur the line between being a kind of outsider that kind of makes fun of the system mm. and the establishment to be kind of becoming the establishment in a way like ah. like like when I, I think like Selinski is the, is the is the worst example of that in a way because he's like yeah I'm a, I'm a comedian and people just really liked him and then he started just uh, talking about normal things and we're like oh we want you to lead us and then suddenly like he is the establishment but, like yeah. who, who are then the comedians in a way like yeah 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 that's a good point and then you have kind of the far right uh, politicians and the far left who's kind of now like the anti-establishment in a mm. way, like like they because they feel like we say the things that other people don't dare, mm. and then the comedians are in the middle and like yeah, but we have to be liked, so we can't say too controversial things, and then kind of the politicians become the take the role that the comedians should have in a way. Yeah, so not it's in all terms getting... of opinions, but in terms of kind of being on the outskirts of. Yeah, it's all getting mixed up. I think like a, a kind of good counterbalance to that is maybe somebody like Russell Brand. Yeah, because he's still, you know, I mean, he's like very kind of anti-establishment in a way, and he's, you know, he has his own like YouTube channel where he's delivering news from yeah. like an independent perspective, and especially when you have like this day and age that we live in now, where there's so much manipulation of the media, you don't know who to trust, and then I've kind of like during the pandemic, I've found myself l like watching Russell Brands for his insight into things, yeah. which was kind of interesting. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he was still like giving me a perspective that I could identify with that didn't seem to be corrupted by, say, for example, advertising money or, uh, you know, some kind of political agenda. But he still has an agenda. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I'm kind of a media person. I, I'm, I've been working in, in kind of uh, media for the last eight years like for uh, often Postman, which is kind of the 
Ah, uh, were you a journalist? No, I'm, I was like a head of marketing uh, there until I kind of took my break to become a comedian. Yeah, full time. Um, so I, I'm 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 very I'm I'm very kind of. Uh, I I don't really recognize that kind of uh, when people when, like when you put it as kind of manipulation of media or like the whole even if you take it further like the mainstream media, just like the term I, I, I like just from like working with journalists every day and see kind of how kind of uh, thorough and and kind of uh, critical they are of their own work. Like mm. I, I I never kind of understand. It feels more more as a created kind of a created story or created bias that like the media is kind of a, a entity that ha- has an agenda and 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 i also really buy into the kind of thing that uh, take russell brand that like he has his opinions and and as long as you're going to watch that and and you take that ah that's his opinion and and not like that's the truth yeah uh which it could be but it could also be just like his opinion then i feel it's really nice to have all these like other voices but yeah but as a replacement i become a bit worried of like understandable yeah but would you say that like given your experience working for often post then which is a pretty prestigious norwegian yeah. uh, newspaper website yeah. something like that uh, I guess it's a multimedia house, right? Because they're producing documentaries and they've got podcasts, yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. doing everything now. Um, but that is uh, kind of like a, a good example of media in a country where media is still, uh, journalism is still, I mean, not as, uh, say, for example, politically biased as in America. Yeah. So like the term media manipulation, when you watch something like Fox News and then you watch something like uh, CBS or something like that, yeah, two yeah. completely different perspectives on something yeah. based on the political agendas of their viewers. Yeah. That's when I think the term media manipulation is, is a bit more relevant. But yeah. maybe that's not such the case here in Norway. No, I, I feel to a much lesser degree at least. And... and um, you you could say that there's a uh, clear tendency among journalists to be on, let's say to to be on the side of the weak yeah. in a way, like like so, and that usually coincides with more kind of social democratic uh, viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there there's they're more kind of left leaning journalists in a way than right leaning. Yeah. Um. So so that that's kind of an interesting balance to discuss. Like is. It's just like the fact that your kind of your your mission to become a journalist is mainly because you want to expose and speak uh, truth to power, etc. Yeah, uh, and what, in, in many what, ways similar to comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I, I really feel like there are kind of uh, uh, kind of soul brothers in 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 a way that they have kind of the same kind of a bit like anarchistic mindset. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and the same kind of drive, but that also I think also a lot of comedians usually have a tendency to lean more to the left side of the spectrum to than to the right side of the spectrum, the, like the political uh, spectrum. Yeah, why do you think that is? I I, I think it's mainly just because uh, that's a good good question actually. Uh, I I I think it's because like you you feel like uh, for me like when I think about like the parties on the right side i think about kind of business in a way i think about like these rich yeah uh business people which is of course not all there is but that's kind of just like the association i have and by by default of it, I, i'm i'm not that and and they're not uh, doing things for me so uh, i guess the people on the other side are more kind of my people in in a way mm. and then you start to read oh, okay so they mean they mean these things and oh, i don't <laughs> mean those things either so I'm, i guess i'm somewhere in in, in the middle or somewhere like this case by case basis but i feel like yeah 
I feel like a part of it is you want the audience to, you want to kind of connect with a, a lot of the audience members as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're in a club with people that are, you know, between 20 and 30 and you get a diverse amount of background, a lot of them are probably, you know, statistically not voting for the r right leaning parties as well. And, you yeah. know, given your background, I mean, maybe when you're older, yeah. if you become like a successful, you know, whatever business magnate or something, yeah. and then you're, you know what, I actually am on the side of uh, less taxes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe your opinions change later yeah. on. But I feel like such a big part of comedy is trying to connect with the audience. And then if the audience kind of sniff out, you have some political allegiance, which they don't identify with, maybe they're not as inclined to find you as funny. No. I don't know. No, no, I, I, think, I think, think you're right there. Uh, and, and you could say, okay, what, what, what comes first? Is it like, uh, do you kind of end up that way because you want to please the aud audience or do you end in up in front of a bigger audience because you already connect with them in a way? Uh, yeah, what do, what do you think about that? I, I, I think maybe, maybe maybe the last, like that, that um, you can go kind of both ways. I think like uh, I've seen some comedians who, Kind of the punchline sometimes is that ah uh, oh, these people that they talk talk about like uh, people from uh, Fremskrittspartiet mm -hmm. uh, uh, and they're like ah oh, they're idiots they're racists and then pe people laugh yeah somehow that, that's kind of very sim simplified the punchline it's like okay yeah but that's that's more maybe a kind of almost like a political opinion rather than a, than a punchline so I I, th I feel like comedy i kind of enjoy more it's like not not when it's just like people applaud because you're saying the right things yeah but they laugh because you twist it in a way that people wouldn't see coming mm. uh and you can make us make fun of both kind of both sides or all, all kind of people in yeah a way. uh it is fun when you make it, it it is fun when you can make fun of everybody yeah, you know what I mean, and everything in a way that everybody understands is a joke. Yeah, and sometimes people, even though they understand it's a joke, and even if it's funny, they still kind of, in my experience, sometimes be like, "Oh, is that really what you think?" Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, there is yeah. a little bit of a trap like that. Yeah, unless you make it so abundantly clear, or you have such a personality where you know you're just fucking around. Yeah, that like if you watch like Dark Souls, mm. for example, like is you never kind of. It never kind of it shines really through who he thinks are Id idiots and who, are, who who kind of who he likes, but but it's not. It doesn't seem like ah oh, he's an idiot because he has this opinion. That uh, he is an idiot or she's an idiot because she did these things yep. that that are idiotic to say or said these things that are idiotic to do. Yeah. So it's kind of you're an idiot because you're an idiot, not because you belong to this group that that I don't like. And mm. I think that that's kind of a uh, easier approach to kind of get get on board with definitely um yeah yeah but, but do, do, is that kind of difficult like coming to uh, how, how long have you lived in norway For, 14 years now 14 years maybe soon 15 actually yeah yeah so actually then when you kind of uh, wanted to start expressing your opinions in or jokes let's say that mm. in in uh, in front of people yeah. that like finding out where kind of yeah, how how to balance that? Uh, yes, I guess you're not very political in your kind of humor in a way, but you're a bit kind of yeah uh, shocking maybe or yeah sometimes at least yeah. Well, I guess um I guess it's a hard uh, way to kind of understand sometimes for me like which direction I should take and I, maybe I have an example. Mm. So you and I, you had the uh, stand up per minute yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. Okay, and I did a joke at the beginning where I made fun of Amber Heard. Yeah. Okay, and then I looked kind of into the audience, and it was a lot of women that were in the audience. Yeah. 
And then I thought, oh shit, was that the kind of? And then like, later on during the interview, like you and Kim said, oh, we, what team were you on? And then I said, I was on Team Johnny. Yeah. And then I felt like oh, I kind of alienated myself from the audience a little bit just because I aligned myself with a particular gender in a case which kind of turned out to be men versus women in in some kind of sp specter. Yeah. And then I thought, oh fuck, yeah. was that the wrong thing to do? Yeah. Was that the wrong choice to make yeah. given this particular audience, which yeah. was maybe 70% female or something yeah. like that? So in situations like that, I wonder like, should I stick to the joke and the punchline that I think is funny? Yeah. Or do I need to kind of adapt to the situation and read the room a little bit better? Yeah, because uh, yeah, that, that's a really interesting point because I'm like the way I kind of, uh, I didn't really think about it then, but like when we're talking about it now, like, for me, um, just the fact that uh, people kind of buy into this as teams, like mm. Team Johnny or Team Amber, like either it's like, and, and the way it's, it's kind of been framed, like talk talk about kind of media ma manipulation, like the amount of kind of social media warfare that's been go going on between someone who's like obviously either just like on Johnny Depp's side or paid by someone who's on his side and Amber Heard's side. It's like kind of a battle for a opinion on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so kind of, uh, it's so e either or. E either she's a psychopath and a lunatic and he's the best person in the world or he's a abuser and she's the victim. And, 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 and in, like, in reality, it's probably like two pretty fucked up people who both are hurt and and has been malicious and has done wrong things definitely so, and so, and that's much harder to communicate yeah yeah but yeah. Then, so then like when it comes to the like down to the binary like who do you support yes and like yeah team johnny then people are like ah uh, yeah he might be innocent but it's also yes he's probably also an asshole in a way like yeah right uh yeah, exactly so it's, for me it's, it's, it's kind of more about that like i feel like i, I don't know i only been told by people who are trying to convince me about who's bad and who's not bad in a way. Yeah. And and to kind of answer your question again, because I thought about that joke afterwards yeah. and all that, you know, you go over your set and everything. And then I thought like, I was basically dressed and I look like a, a fucking meathead. You know what I mean? Like I'm a hundred kilo dude wearing CrossFit shorts yeah, and, yeah, a, and yeah. a top and I got like basically a shaved head. Yeah. I look like a woman beater. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I look like somebody that's could be a and the fact that I put you in a triangle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I look like somebody that could, you know, be a fucking asshole. Yeah. And maybe I gotta like take the you know, just take the whole package into consideration when I'm delivering a joke that might have a binary trigger mechanism yeah, for yeah. audience members. Yeah. So you know what I mean, and like, yeah, there's so it's much to take a in. Part of it, yeah, definitely. Right? There's so there's so much to consider. Yeah, and then you you know, and you're just there, and you're just like, you know, happy to get through the lines and remember everything, and yeah. you got so much pressure. I mean, particularly with your show, when you got one minute, yeah, and you just got to go, 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 yeah, go, yeah. go, go, and then later on, you go, ha, ah, was that tactically the best decision? Was that the right thing to kind of get the audience members on board, which is a big part of uh, you know being successful in the show? Yeah, yeah, especially especially that which is just like. If or I guess most people haven't seen it, but it's like I mean, it's a show where comedians get kind of pulled out of a bucket and they come up and they have one minute exactly to do stand up. It's mostly newer comedians, mm -hmm. and then they kind of get interviewed slash roasted slash gets feedback from a panel of 
slightly more established comedians or, or sometimes even more established comedians. It's a so, hilarious show. Yeah, it, it can be really funny and it can be really awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really kind of a it's kind of a controlled chaos show. And I think that's that's kind of fun. Like everything can happen. At, yeah. at least that's that's the feeling. Yeah. Um, but it's really like if you look at it just as an environment for delivering the best possible stand up, it's kind of a pressure cooker. It's really hard to to nail that one minute. But yeah. Most people can kind of redeem themselves during the interview part afterwards, or kind of f- because then they relax a bit more. Yeah, it's not kind of pre-planned what they want to say, so they come off as more human mm. uh, often. Yeah, especially when you're a newer comedian, like where you come up and you're so stressed to remember what you want to say, so you're just like. So I have, I have a question for you because you've done this show like four times now, five yeah. times, something yeah. like that. You must have seen a lot of people do one minute. Yeah. What are some of the tips that? people should keep in mind when they're doing stand-up for a for just one minute set based on successful experiences that you've witnessed uh, for me it's uh and and uh yeah that's the, like the asterisk is just like what, what i kind of kind of think but um the ones who tend to do well are the ones who talk about something real in mm-hmm. a way like something that they actually um care deeply about either like either is if, if there's something that really makes them mad or they're really interested in or 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 really sad about or just to have like a strong emotion towards and because uh, because people like especially in that format when you have one minute they're they're kind of desperate to get to know who are you mm. like who are you what are you why are you here who are you people just and and so that's kind of the tension that that you can kind of play with like if you manage to answer who are you in a funny way, mm. e- either by kind of having a self-deprecating joke, which is kind of an easy way out, or actually talking about something that you're kind of passionate about in one direction or another. Yeah. Uh, where you get kind of, you get, get across your viewpoint mm. very specifically. Yeah. Then people connect with that. But gotcha. But w- what I see often is that comedians, they kind of want to do their kind of tightest joke so they come up and they, they and this is not like about anyone specific but they they come up and they talk talk about kind of uh, generic jokes in mm-hmm. a way like so they talk about uh uh i went to the hairdresser or i went to this gas station or i i uh i uh cats are weird right and they kind of they 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 come up and they tell a joke and the joke is okay and people are like yeah but why are you talking about this gotcha so, so uh, yeah, if, if you want to do like a minute and you want it to wor- work really well, then... You got to let people know who you are and yeah. why you care about what you're talking about. Yeah. Huh, that's pretty good. I, you know, I never thought about that. The thing that I thought about was, uh, okay, just one-liners, 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 yeah, yeah, one-liners, yeah. one-liners. And I've also seen people fall into the trap where they spend too much time on a setup. And then they'll be going through the setup and say, like, oh, shit, you just chewed through 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit! And then the punchline for that joke might not have been worth the thirty-second build-up, and now you've only got like another twenty seconds. Yeah. And now you're kind of panicking, and then you're setting it up, and you might not even have time to get to the second punchline. No. So you spend a minute, and you've done one punchline, maybe squeezed in a second one. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, your joke per minute factor was wasn't optimal. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, but, and that's also kind of the since most people who do the show are maybe like at tops kind of three years in mm. and there's been a pandemic in between so maybe three years is almost actually one and a half year like yeah. in terms of just stage time um so uh, most of them are not really kind of prolific uh, pr- uh, very good uh, uh joke writers yet mm-hmm. they're not really kind of good at 
I mean, they're they're decent. They're they're better better than people like normal people, but they haven't done it that long, so their jokes are kind of good, but not good enough to kind of live without people knowing who you are. Gotcha. So I guess like uh, some of the comedians who do do the show, I, I t- talk to someone like they they can kind of do a 10 minute set and then they have that w- joke from the one minute within the 10 minute set and mm. then the joke's really delivered. Yeah. Uh, but when they come in and they only do the one minute joke, they're almost like, but it's usually always, it's, it's, this is my closer. This is, it's yeah. kind of always works. Yeah. But yeah, that's because people know you by then. Like they, yeah. e- even if you don't kind of introduce yourself, just like seeing someone on stage for 10 minutes, mm. you kind of pick up on their kind of mannerisms and kind of who, who they are in a way and you get the impression. So, then suddenly it's not just like a uh, random person telling a joke. It's it's Marius tell, telling a joke. And now we kind of know Marius a bit. So when yeah. he talks about uh, going to the hairdresser, then we know oh, it's, it's Marius going to the hairdresser. It's just like it's not this unknown yeah. entity of uh, people going to the... Yeah. So, so uh, the right joke at the wrong time is the wrong joke. Yeah. Right, kind of, because if, if it works super good, like squeeze in seven minutes deep into your ten minute set, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Or it's the closer of your ten minute set. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you should do if you only have one minute. No, not at all. No, definitely not. Like, mm. or interesting. At least that's that's what have the tendency to work best is is not that those kind of jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also some some people like uh, there's a guy called uh, Sievert Aymelen who yeah, he's a who d- done it a, a few times and he he tells kind of uh, a bit more like one-liner-ish style jokes mm. and but he also kind of the first time he he did it he like his stand-up part kind of tanked like he I did like 12 one minute uh, like one-liners really back to back and someone got a chuckle but mm. but then like his interview part was super funny because then we talked about kind of his life and he got fired from a burger place or something which almost could have been a bit as well yeah but like so he kind of won that time just because of his interview which was really great and yeah then, okay and when he does like normal stand stand-up then he's, he's also really funny so yeah he's hilarious so. you know one one thing i've noticed about sivert's setups is that the setups themselves people laugh at. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the setup is generally, uh, in many cases, it's like a, a a kind of, like, hilarious observation about something. Yeah. So he'll say something as part of the setup. Yeah. And then he's already getting laughs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then the punchline comes through, and then a second set of laughs. So if you have a setup which is kind of funny, and you get the laugh there, and then you have the punchline, you're kind of doubling up your laughter. Yeah, and, and but he also has the... It's a, it's the setup. It's also kind of his, and this that's kind of his. Um, uh, it's like a power that he doesn't really know how to control yet. Mm. That's kind of my interpretation of it. Like his whole kind of persona, like the way he is. Like he he comes on stage and he's usually pretty, like low energy, and a bit like oh I'm here in a way, but like uh, happy. It's, it's like it's like he's sad but happy in a way that is like a it's a or he that's why I perceive him like tired but happy <laughs> or so it, it's kind of it's funny to see someone coming on stage usually after like the MC has been like oh it's see where I'm yelling and he comes up like oh yeah oh, I'm here oh fuck and then he's like start and he delivers this like wild premise and people are like why who what, what's <laughs> happening like why are you here like do you want to be here or do you and usually that doesn't work like but but for him it's something about the whole package that kind of gets people interested and 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 yeah laughing kind of right away so that's kind of a really good 
good starting point for for building on like jokes yeah. for well, do you, what do you i have a theory about this but i wanted to ask you do you think some people are just inherently funny you know what i mean like you just look at somebody or their mannerisms or the way that they just naturally are and they kind of like communicate a vibe of like funniness or a, a humorous kind of aspects to themselves just by who they are yeah i mean like it, it depends on i i i I think that some people kind of become that way. Mm. I, I'm I'm not sure. Like for me, I always have really kind of trouble with the term funny bones. Yep. Uh, and that might be just like a personal thing for me, and because I, I feel like I have I don't have that in in, in a way. Like I never kind of had that. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's kind of just like a self preservation thing. It's been really important for me to be like, okay, I. Um, there was never kind of obvious to people around me that I was becoming going to be a comedian, mm. but like uh, I did it because I wanted to do it and I worked really hard at it, and then I kind of de- de- developed it or like uh, honed it or whatever. Like th- there was something there, but I kind of amplified it. Yeah, and and I also think like some 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 people are like the first time they walk on a stand up stage, uh, they're almost not the done product, but they're all already kind of ready to kind of do do the craft yeah um and some people need much longer time and the w- and the reason why they kind of end up being ready when they first walk on a stand-up stage it might be like people from things from their past or just like things they've gotten kind of a positive response on during their upbringing or mm. uh, or experience to improv or music or debating or something yeah yeah exactly yeah. so 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 I, I think like some people have a much better, it, it's like uh, working out in a way, like, Got, like it's like gotcha. some, some people, starting point yeah, for some, some people is different. P- people have different kind of muscle fibers and some are better for running and some are better for kind of bulking up. That's me. Yeah, better, better for bulking up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're better for running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I might have like longer fibers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so maybe people have different comedy fibers based on their life experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so someone has kind of worked them out naturally through, let's say, then if you want to continue the met- metaphor, kind of working, working on the comedy farm, so they become really ripped. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the farm is in this analogy, but like, uh, <laughs> but they they come to the station, they can be working. That they come to the the gym the first day, and they've been working on the farm, yeah. lifting. Uh, so maybe the farm is just having good friends that joke around with you, yeah, or like be. talking shit online whilst you're playing Fortnite or something. Yeah, or drunk parents, so you have to always kind of <laughs> yeah. be like the funny person. You gotta, to otherwise, you're gonna get your ass kicked. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the farm can be whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, dude, the farm's whatever you got. Shit, I got a difficult question for you now, okay? Because you know, how long have you been doing comedy for? Uh, eight years. Okay, eight years. So. Uh, I got a I got a difficult comedy question for you. Okay, what do you think of the two different delivery types and their advantages? If your delivery type is legato or staccato, are you familiar with these no. type? So it's like a musical term, right? Yeah. So um, what I've kind of been noticing is that when I watch somebody, say for example, like you you do it, Lauditz does it, Armit does it, mm. uh, good good comedians do it. They have a kind of flow and they're, they're talking really quickly and they're just going like this and it's kind of all flowing into each other and it's kind of really legato. It's yeah. really it's like the musical form of legato. Yeah. And then you have like more of a staccato where you go, I was here, blah blah bang, and then blah blah bang, yeah, blah 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 blah, okay, bang, yeah, yeah. So, what are your um, what are your thoughts on like those two different uh, forms of like oral melody or rhythm when it comes to comedy? Um, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. I, I haven't thought about it. I, I I think that one of the things to kind of 
let's say like during your kind of comedic uh, life you have like different phases where you have to develop different things so mm. when you're just starting out the first like three or four years most people just have to be comfortable enough on stage to actually be themselves or a closer version of themselves so then it's more kind of focusing on actually writing good jokes and and being comfortable in the stage environment and kind of overwinning your uh or overcoming your your uh, fear of uh standing in front of people that's a kind of a natural response for for most people mm. and then like from year four and out then you have to kind of be better at the stage presence and you have to be better at writing jokes and you have to kind of improve all of these kind of minor and bigger things and and in terms of that like from year yeah where i am i am now and going forward maybe like those things are Maybe things I, I never kind of thought about. It's not like a deliberate choice mm. in the way I talk, but it like just being aware of that such ideas and such kind of ways of doing it exist makes that I can make a conscious choice about when to use what. Mm. Uh, uh, so maybe both staccato and legato, uh, you could do both, but you, they should have a purpose. Yes. Like, uh, uh, delivered to or connected to what kind of story you want to tell, what kind of joke you want to tell, and they can be tools for creating dynamic throughout your set. So like when I, I did my first kind of hour, then get like being aware of of that kind of rhythm and to use that in a way that people don't get bored from the same kind of yeah. uh, you gotta, you gotta melody. Mix it up and yeah. pace it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I guess I, the, the benefits and the, and the drawbacks from each, I'm not sure, but... When, when, when you... Um, so like, say for example, when I see somebody performing like in legato, it's, yeah. it's almost like they're stepping into a second gear. Yeah. And it's almost like when they hit that phase and they're just kind of talking like this and then we're gonna, here's a joke. Mm. And then we're going to go like this and then, oh, but I fucked it. Yeah. I'll go, blah, blah. For me, it feels like I get kind of drawn in more to this faster pace and it's easier to kind of keep my attention because yeah. I don't have any distractions to kind of, I'm like, I'm so dialed into what they're saying yeah. because they're moving at such a pace and they have like a, a higher word count per minute, Yeah, you know, and that higher word count per minute, that kind of draws me into this hypnosis that they're doing. And then I find it easier to follow their logic and they do it a lot with stories yeah. i noticed with stories it's like much faster face and they're talking about it. and then i also noticed that when they uh, take a pause in the legato for where the joke is i automatically know to laugh yeah like i just know that this is the or they change the tone they go and then uh the, the car was green yeah and i go oh yeah now i'm laughing yeah. <laughs> It's like conditioning almost. I'm like. totally conditioned yeah. to laugh during a particular break in the rhythm when yeah. that rhythm is legato. Yeah, but I, I guess that that I mean that that's uh, that's almost like a it could be almost like a cheat code mm. in, in a way because you like if you deliver your jokes uh, less kind of dependent on melody and 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 just like conditioning people to laugh at certain points. Then you have to be even better at kind of constructing the actual joke. Yeah. Uh, if you can kind of lean on, uh, yeah, like the legato then the tools, then then you have to the jokes itself has has to be killer. Yeah. And to be able to, that's the kind of where I heard like these stories about then when kind of these like big comedians, like when Chris Rock drop into a club uh, and and he tries his set, he does it just like just the jokes, 
just almost without any delivery. Like really, just, it's really just like the actual words. So he just wants to test test the, test the words, not his not Chris Rock way of talking. Uh, and then yeah. and I'm not sure if this is true, but that's kind of what I've heard on other podcasts. So. Yeah, but but it's it's an in- interesting idea, especially when you're at that level where people just like. You, they, like you because you're you. They're just happy to see Chris Rock. Yeah, yeah. So if you then you're not Chris Rock, just like someone who looks like Chris Rock delivering boring <laughs> jokes, then yeah. you really get to kind of test your material and see if it, is it kind of good enough. Yeah, exactly. At that level, you need to make sure that the punchlines and the setup stands the test of them being independently good. Yeah. Not just that you're delivering them. And, and that's kind of who I think like like they're, they're really really great. They they do both in a way. They. Mm. They have really good, like uh, one of my favorites are kind of John John Mulaney, for example, because mm-hmm. he's like he's almost kind of Seinfeld-ish in the way he kind of constructs the jokes. That it's so kind of minutia into like the specific words and wording, mm. and the jokes are the same, delivered the same way every time. Yeah, but the way he's doing it is really kind of it sounds improvised. It sounds. Uh, like he's making up, making it up as he goes goes along. So he both kind of have the way of delivering it in a way that makes you drawn in. Yeah. But also the jokes are written almost kind of to perfection, like one-liner yeah. type of writing. And then when you kind of then do both, then it's a really powerful kind of uh, thing to do. Yeah. Do you, when you're delivering jokes, do you laugh much during your set? You know, do you say something like, uh, blah, 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 <laughs> and then you laugh uh, yeah a bit a bit too much yeah uh, i i uh, that's i mean it's it's sometimes it's because something truly funny kind of happens in the audience and then i really enjoy kind of uh yeah then i'm just laugh because i, <laughs> I think it's funny but but uh uh when sometimes when i deliver jokes and especially when the jokes are not that good or, mm. or i'm not that good then i tend to kind of not laugh like uh, ha 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 but more like <laughs> it's like it's like almost like drawing your breath. Uh, but it's, uh, it's genuine. Yeah, it's genuine, but it's also almost like out of nervousness okay. rather than than uh, that it's funny. Yeah. So, and especially like that's the thing I've kind of been working on is trying to not to laugh into the mic because it's just like... This <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because yeah. uh, you got a really help. terrible sound for people <laughs> to listen to it. I'm, I've become really self-aware of it. So, yeah. so I'm trying to kind of, okay, that's the thing I have to kind of try to... Uh, cut out because uh, okay. I, I, I it bothers me uh, at least so yeah so um, yeah but I've I've seen you we did a English speaking show together yeah uh, joke factory I mean like a, a couple of months ago yeah and it was uh, you were after the break I think we had like three or four comedians three comedians before the break yeah and we, we each got like 10 minutes or something yeah and then after the break you and Ahmed got like maybe 15 20 minutes yeah whatever it was yeah and then I saw you step up into this like second gear, right? Where you were like legato, 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 and you were laughing. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like yeah. it, it really felt like what you were saying. And I don't know how much of that set you'd done in English or whether it was like, uh, you know, like. Yeah, there was a few things. Yeah. A, yeah. a few things for the first time. Yeah. But it, it really felt like when you were laughing at things that you were kind of like it, A, enjoying the moment and B, just in like acknowledging like how uh funny and comedic some of the s- setups and some of the s- some of the situations that you were describing were yeah yeah uh, that, that that can be that that's a that's a different i remember i remember that tonight because that, that was 
that's like a different sometimes you're just in that flow where yeah. just everything is just like great and and uh, yeah. and you connect with the audience and you have fun with them and you have fun with kind of your own material and for me also because i hadn't really practiced like the english i was kind of translating a bit on the go so it was yeah. funny for me <laughs> to hear what i kind of thought was english in yeah. a way uh so yeah so that was kind of uh, a way of kind of putting hurdles in front of yourself just to see if you can kind of overcome them. Yeah. And then it's funny to experience how kind of that you're stumbling a bit around, but it's human and it's kind of, it's, it's, it was a funny, funny thing to do. It was, it was a great night. Yeah. You know, I think that was like, I mean, you know, those nights when you have in comedy where it's just perfect, you yeah. know, like the lineup is amazing. The audience is great. Yeah. It's just that electricity of humor in the yeah. air and everybody's just like, yeah, more, more, more. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. sitting at the back howling yeah. <laughs> with laughter with you and with Ahmed and yeah. I, it was like just kind of like the perfect evening of comedy yeah that was, that was, that was really really great it was really great and yeah. you don't always get them no, no. you know what I mean like sometimes Usually you get them not, yeah, yeah sometimes you, sometimes they're there sometimes they're not there yeah. and then when they're there I think you just kind of like acknowledge that this is happening yeah. and you're like holy shit this is one of those nights mm. wow you guys are with me yeah. yes yeah. we're with you this yeah. is I can't believe this is happening oh my god this is amazing yeah, and, and I remember especially when I was kind of newer into comedy. Like my my first two years, I was just horrible. I was just like terrible comedian. Really? Uh, yeah, I was huh. like not not like terrible in the sense that it was like awkward silence, mm. but terrible in the sense that people just like forgot me the moment I stepped off stage in a way. Like I just like disappeared from people's memory. It was that like people laughed uh, politely and sometimes a bit more, but it was just like. Just like bad because I was new, it may make sense. And then I, then I lived for those kind of that those kind of nights kind of kept me alive because it's like suddenly like you had like this one show and for some reason everything was just like perfect. Yeah. So so people laughed much more than they should kind of, and then you become, uh, then you become uh, like safer and and you become calmer and 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 you just like you you're the best version of the comedian you can be at that point mm. and then that's kind of your new high and then you kind of chase that like for the next year just ah oh, fuck i want to get back to that like yeah, yeah. every other night is not as good as that one and then yeah. you get it again and it's a bit higher yeah and then it, it start to come more consistent in a way so so when i kind of i have recordings of almost all my sets mm. just like voice recordings and I have some someone with a kind of star behind that. That's, uh, that was a great night. And yeah, <laughs> funny to go back and listen to kind of the ones that used to be a great night. Yeah, and listen to them now. Ah, like, oh, this is a medium night now. Like yeah, this is, gotcha. And that's kind of a that's progress. That's that's kind of a really nice way to experience yeah. progress. Um, I I ask a lot of people this, especially people that have been doing comedy for a while, because I think it's it's good for people to hear this. Um, do you have any? catastrophic nights of bombing where you experienced like maybe earlier on where you're like oh my god this did not go well i fucking i'm not funny this totally sucked do yeah. you have any uh, bombing experiences like that yeah several like but I, so uh i have i have like one story which is kind of not my fault mm -hmm. which is kind of uh, more about like we were asked to do comedy in a sauna uh, at Salt. Yep. And this is like before Salt was kind of Salt. Yeah. Uh, then before they had any stand up there, it was during Bilarum, like a yeah, yeah. musical the music festival. festival. So me and Malena and Ahmed, I think, and Odin Eriksson, mm -hmm. we were, and a few, yeah, two more, we were, were asked to come there. What, what year is this? 
2016 or 2017 or something. Yeah, okay. Um, so we asked there to come and do comedy. Uh, and they were like, yeah, it's in the sauna. Uh, it's like uh, 3 o'clock on a Saturday. So it's the middle of the day. But it's, it's not paid, but it's going to be a lot of in industry people there. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, okay. What kind of industry <laughs> or what, what, where? <laughs> okay, sure. But we were kind of, we, we really wanted to kind of, uh, no, none of us were known at all uh, at that point. Uh, and then, and then uh, we came there, and like the owner was like, "Yeah, just go, go in. They're ready for a stand-up. Uh, go, guys!" And then we, I, I was the MC, I think, so I kind of went, went in and kind of started the show, just like in. And the sauna was like on, so it was really hot. Mm. Maybe like fifty people there, and I started, and I just realized right away that no one had told these people oh no that's gonna be stand-up so it was oh, kind of surprise stand-up that's the worst and that was just like and there was no microphone it was oh like, my just god just like super awkward uh <laughs> just like this random person coming up and started talk talking about his life in front of strangers yeah. and asking if key people are together mm. uh so that, that, that's that's kind of like a story where okay fuck this hurts yeah but it's it's understandable why but yeah. like my uh, like the better let's say example story of a uh, point where I almost wanted to quit was uh, was also maybe like three three four years in where I've I did a show in Oslo and then uh, uh, someone at that show kind of came up up to me afterwards like yeah really cool we want to I have this club in Horten mm -hmm. uh, uh, do you want to come there and and do uh, do comedy there because we I, I I like you and I was like oh yeah fuck cool really cool yeah I'm I'm, I'm coming. And then me and Joachim Skage and a few others, we went down there to Horten to do, do stand-up. And then everything was kind of perfect. Like, the, the room was perfect. Like, the, there was a crowd. Um, and, and, yeah, like it was a cool stage. And I went up and I just, like, completely tanked. Like, <laughs> people started, like, booing almost no! just because it was bad. It's oh like, not God. because I said anything offensive. Yeah. Just, like, just, like, and I lost all confidence. <sighs> Shit. And and people just yeah it was people <laughs> strolling like oh, no. they, they, I lost everyone yeah and that that's even then and then Joachim comes on after me and just kills yeah that's even worse so yeah. it's, it's not because it's him but just because it's not the audience's fault which is like I'm I'm terrible like yeah. these jokes are horrible mm. and that that just remember that car ride home yeah. that feeling like oh fuck I wanna I, I I'm I'm the worst uh, person, comedian, everything. Yeah. Uh, I I should just kind of quit. But for me, it's been it's been kind of these moments where I've like the next day I kind of wake up and I I re I write new jokes in a way like that's that's kind of been my that's the motivator. You never yeah. want to kind of like I never want to experience that again. Yeah. Kind what do of. I what do I have to do to not feel like that? Yeah, and it's just like humbling, like that you prob probably suck. Like still, I feel like. I'm just uh, one show away from feeling that I completely suck. Mm. So yeah, to, uh, it, it's better to kind of continuously work to improve yourself rather than to wait for the evidence that you suck gotcha. and then work. Uh, yeah. So I'm trying to kind of improve even though it's going well. Yeah. Uh, everybody that I've spoken to in comedy has stories like this. Yeah, everybody goes through it. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it, you know, in the beginning of the career, or even a couple of years in, it's just like. And at any time, it, uh, it, yeah. it can happen. Like you, it can be. I have have a show tonight. It can go horrible. Like yeah, you never know. No, you never know. <laughs> you're living on the edge, man. 
it's uh yeah i think i think i think it's important to like have these conversations as well because which, which story do you usually tell when you're asked to Dude, I I got a I got a lot of bombing stories, man. Okay. You know what I mean. I <laughs> yeah. got a, I got a ton, but uh, I have this uh, one bombing story when uh, it I have I have the same. I have where it was my fault and where it was not my fault. But I can tell a, a recent bombing story, yeah. which uh, was 100 my fault. Okay. And it was a, a fantastic lineup. It was maybe about a month ago at Revolver, mm. and it was me, Martin Bayer, Eidixson, Eunice uh, dropped in for a spot. Yeah, and it was. Dog. And uh, no, it wasn't Dog. It was uh, Hans Magna yeah. and, and, and a couple of other killers. Yeah. Right? All really, really, really established great comedians. Yeah. And I went on stage. I was second. And I uh, I lost the audience from the beginning. Okay. I lost them. Yeah. And then I kind of like tried overly hard to compensate and win them back. And then I kind of just pushed them in the wrong direction where they didn't really connect with me. Yeah. And then I kind of like, I was a little bit, the way I kind of interpreted it, it was that my jokes were too stupid for the audience. That the audience was a little bit more of a sophisticated, intelligent audience mm. who wasn't like, they'd probably been going to stand up quite a lot mm. and Revolver's pretty high level actually. Mm. And uh, they had all these great people on the lineup and they came to see good high level comedy and I just delivered like white belt garbage shit. Okay. Now in, in, in my in my defense, yeah. I was exhausted. Yeah. And I had been working literally 17 hour days every day for the last 12 days in a row yeah and i was like struggling just to make it through the day you know yeah and i finished work like an hour before i had to go on stage had zero time to prepare for the last week and a half or two weeks and i was just mentally fried so i was not in an optimal condition to communicate comedy no at all no but i still take that as my you know that's that's on me yeah and uh it was just a horrible experience horrible experience and then i went backstage afterwards and then uh, Jonas was there and he goes how did it go mm. and i go man i ate shit mm. i tanked and then he he gave me a high five and then he told me a story about when he tanked yeah, yeah. so i always felt like even from people who are so much better than me and more above than me that they've all been through that experience yeah and in that club it doesn't really matter if you have one bad night it's like we've all had these one bad nights yeah. and the fact that the first thing that he did after i said i ate shit was he gave me a fist bump yeah and then went into a detailed story about how much shit he ate yeah and how that made him feel bad yeah automatically made me feel better yeah and another thing that's so important like to me about this community as well and maybe you experienced this in that club at horton was that people afterwards were saying they go, hey man, don't worry about it. You know, it all, it all goes bad. Don't worry about it. No problem. Who cares? It wasn't as bad as you think. No. You know what I mean? And so then I kind of like, I, I, I try to distance myself emotionally from the experience and just try to say, okay, you fucked up. Everybody fucks up. Yeah. It didn't go great. Yeah. Work harder. But at least the people that you're performing with yeah. are really supportive. Yeah. And I feel like that has really dragged me out of depression and despair and these like really negative feelings yeah. so many times when that happens yeah it's kind of fun like that you're saying that because i uh for me it's i i i think um joachim also really really remember this story because uh, i think i like on my way down there it was it was like three years after i kind of did the class with him and and, and yoni uh and, and on the w my way down there i feel like yeah i've like I'm finally kind of figured this comedy thing out. Like now, now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm at a place where I'm gonna do well tonight. And, and he was just in 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 the car thinking, yeah, okay, 
let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because he knew that this was also a bad place to do comedy or anything, but he was just like thinking that, and then, and then on the way home, he was like, yeah, so still think that you're <laughs> <laughs> figured it out and he still reminds me like yeah oh, I remember Horton I was like oh fuck I remember Horton <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like a and, and it's kind of uh, that's my first like really bombing story so mm. I guess like when you're a seasoned comedian as well like then then you're like yeah but I have like 25 of those like yeah. you have to I, don't know, I understand it's really bad for you now but this is a thing that you just have to cope with yeah going I th- forward i think so and i think it's important to tell that to people as well because i've you know at the level of comedy that i'm on i'm working with uh, a lot of people that are you know either the same degree of experience or less experience yeah and uh, bombing is something that you experience yeah or that i get to see at least yeah almost every week yeah and uh you know afterwards i see like uh, comedians are just like oh man that was so bad or oh, fucking oh, i hate this and and then i, I always just want to let them know like hey don't don't worry about it you know just it's you it's it's fine it happens to everybody just get back on the horse yeah and m- i think m- maybe just try this or try that or i think maybe this is where it went wrong yeah and uh, just try to like keep that emotional distance yeah. from the experience to your yourself like you don't suck maybe just you weren't optimal tonight. Yeah, or, or either like, and this is more kind of a life philosophy, I guess, but like maybe you suck, but that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't matter in a way. Like, like you, it's okay to suck. Yeah. Like, like that, that's, that's totally, you're, you're new to this thing. Like mm. you have to kind of have the same demands of yourself from starting comedy as you would kind of started running. You can't be like, first day of running be like oh i can't run a marathon like no but you you just started like of course you can't like yeah. do the one kilometer and be happy about that in a way yeah but then uh if you don't put in the effort to kind of be- get better mm. uh and and then complain like oh why don't i get any opportunities like that's because you don't put in the effort like and for me like I, I, i'm more kind of uh I, I I really like when people take chances and go up and bomb or even just like bomb because they're new, but they don't stop and they try to improve. Then for me, that that's kind of all the things I kind of look for in a, in a comedian or just like a person. Like I really, like if you dare to be bad at something because you want to get better, that's, that's a really good thing. But if you, you you don't dare to be bad, so you're just like mediocre yeah. because you don't take chances. And I, I see the same person, telling the same 10 minutes that people always laugh a little bit off and they don't change it in a year. Yeah. I'm like, you either have to, I mean, you can keep it, keep, keep it alive and start continue doing it. But like, I, I'm not invested in your development in a way, but I, I really enjoy seeing people get better. Yeah. I mean, both from kind of, uh, both the shows, like kind of the, that salt. And now like my, my main motivation behind it is because I, I really kind of missed those chances when I was starting out. Just yeah. like a chance to come and do it and be bad yeah. and get better. Um, so when people take that chance and actually use that opportunity, then I'm, I'm really happy. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good thing, man. Um, one of the things that I was kind of thinking about as well is, is like, you know, when you were going down in the car to Horten, yeah. you know, and you were confident, yeah. you had this confidence. Yeah. It's almost like, I feel like, when I have that confidence, it's a tool that the audience recognizes yeah. and that it helps me. So it's a kind of weird balancing act because I need to also be humble 
and realize that like it it can go wrong. But if I have that approach when I'm standing on stage, then there's a greater chance that it does go wrong. Yeah. So the confidence that I build myself up to having before a show is kind of like, for, for me at least, what I need to have to win their trust to make them think, oh, he believes it's funny. He's yeah. confident in thinking it's funny. Yeah. But then if it doesn't go well, that fall from that I'm so confident thing is even higher. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Yeah, and especially like, uh, and, and I don't have a full overview of your material, of course, but like from seeing you do come, like the type of jokes you do, then like the confidence can be both kind of a really uh, nice thing and also sometimes a hindrance because mm. if the jokes are a bit kind of, uh, I hate the word edgy, but like let's say, let's use that word, mm. uh, and then you come off as really kind of, as you said, like when you reflected about the one minute like how do people perceive you mm. if you kind of uh, if you're then perceived as this this jock doing like these really bombastic uh, jokes about kind of sexuality and and women and men and uh, political issues then that can on to some people become like oh he's kind of too exactly. into himself and yeah. into his own viewpoints in a way yeah so maybe like sometimes you need the doubt yep. just to make show that oh you you're aware of the bombasticness of mm. your own viewpoints yeah expects uh, expressed in your comedy yes so so that that balance must be even harder when you're kind of telling those those uh, or you choosing those topics in in the, in the way it is harder it is harder and what my kind of structure is uh, with that insight is what i feel like i need to do in the beginning of a 10 or 15 minute set or something like that is first of all i need to make fun of myself Yeah. So I start inwardly. I'm like, okay, so I'll make fun of myself. Yeah. And then I'll make fun of something a little bit bigger. But you know that I'm making fun of myself. Yeah. So I have to kind of attack myself first and, you know, say that, you know, I look like a fucking whatever I look like and yeah. make fun of me. And then, okay, you guys know, right? I'm on the table too. Yeah. I'll make fun of myself. And hopefully that disarms them a little bit of being so critical when I start making fun of you know, like a society or a, yeah. a company or a political decision or a court case or whatever the yeah. fuck it is. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Y yeah, right? If they kind of like you first, then they will come with you wherever you want to take them. Yeah, exactly. And because there is a thing of people who are overly confident in society as well. Yeah. You're kind of like, what? Come on, man. Yeah. You're like, you're saying you're the best at everything and you like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, 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 you have a tendency to be repelled sometimes by overly confident people. Yeah. And uh, in that minute show, maybe I stepped into that repelling territory. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think repelling is hard, but it's, it's more about like uh, you, you, you maybe kind of had a chance to get people to connect a bit with you before, before you told those jokes and mm. didn't use that chance gotcha. in a way. But so it's more about they didn't connect with you as hard as they could have. Yeah. So that, kind of transferred into the jokes rather yep. than they kind of pulled away mm. man what a dynamic sport we fucking practice <laughs> yeah, yeah. isn't it weird yeah it's weird it's a very weird dynamic that we're constantly engaging in yeah. with so many people from so many different perspectives in life yeah and i know the place that where i noticed that the most is the joke factory because you have You have uh, people from Holland that are just visiting. You have people from South Africa that have been here for 20 years. You have uh, Norwegian students that just like English comedy. Yeah. You have such a diverse mix of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so, uh, the crowd is so varied. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's it's weird, yeah. you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's magical. 
yeah, I, I feel like that's it's not really it's fun. It's a, it's a completely different crowd than you usually uh, do comedy in front of, and they're also kind of a bit since since they're expats or or it's not really that much kind of on offering for them in terms of like non-Norwegian cultural events. Yeah. So so they're they're in a way just happy to to go somewhere when something is for them. Yeah. Uh, and they, they usually show up in, in, in numbers. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. So then, so then like, it's just, that's a really good starting point of being like, Oh yeah, this is for us. Yeah. Uh, and we're included. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And They're then, very grateful. Yeah. Very. So, yeah. so I really enjoy that. And, 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 I, and I enjoy it mostly when I've done like, done that two or three times. And one of the times it was like maybe 60% Norwegians. Yeah, uh, okay. And then it was like a bit weird, like talking English to Norwegians. Yeah. Maybe had like a Swedish friend with them in a way. Mm. Uh, so like, yeah, this is, this feels a bit kind of forced uh, almost, but it was still a fun show. But like, it, it's more fun when most people are not Norwegian and there's like a few Norwegians there maybe, but not, yeah. not too many. Yeah. Dude, one thing that I, I wanted to talk to you about was you had a Facebook status. I think it was maybe like at the end of last year or the beginning of this year. Yeah. And you announced that you were going to pursue comedy full time. Yeah. And since then, I think that was maybe six months ago or something yeah. like that. So then you've, you, if I'm correct, you quit your job yeah. at Ufton Post then. Yeah. And you're uh, spending uh, your time trying to um, live off comedy. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. Tell me how it's going. Tell me why you decided to do that. Like, what's give us an update? It's uh, um, um, it's going well, uh, actually. Like, uh, much much better than I I feared that it would go. Like, in terms of uh, in terms of both in terms of kind of having enough money to pay your your house loans in a way, yeah. but also just in terms of kind of cre creativeness like uh, being uh, feeling like you're developing and being able to produce uh, fun things and and do like do funny shows and and, and travel and stuff uh but like the, I, it's, a, it's a thought that i kind of been carrying around almost since i started like that for me it was kind of a, one of the uh, ways of measuring success in a way if you're if you're able to try to make a living solely from comedy, then that's at least like a way of proving to myself that okay, I I I've kind of made it. I it, this is something that I can do. Yeah. Um. So it's almost always kind of been a dream, and I, I kind of haven't really uh, known when or how to kind of uh, do it. Uh. So the first time I really thought about it was like. I guess like in January, February, 2020. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Great timing. Yeah. Yeah. So then, then I, then I had this really awful project at work and I was like, oh, I hate this. Uh, uh, and then I really wanted to just like quit and, and do comedy because I, I, I just I was at work every day. I went to like mad because of this product, uh, project. Mm. Uh, but that's okay. I, then I, then I kind of calculated and I was like, okay, if I, because we have like this three months of uh, term termination period. Yeah. Uh, so if I quit my job, then in April, then I have May, June, July with money. And then in August, I'll start. So I, I made the decision, to, okay, <laughs> I'm going to wait till April to okay. quit. Okay, good timing. And then, yeah, yeah it was yeah, kind yeah. of the best timing. You were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you quit in December. Yeah, yeah. Oh or, or even Feb February. You would like, have been yeah. 
fucked. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that would be a disaster. Then, yeah, that would be a different podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Remembering Mario's torches. Uh, no, oh. but uh, <laughs> and, then, and then like the the project, then the, the pandemic came, of course, and the project ended, and like things that were became better. So then I was kind of happy in in my job, and I got like a new role there. So I got like a. Uh, I went from uh, kind of being uh, head of marketing to also get, getting like a team of 10 people who kind of reported to me. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a new, fun, exciting uh, experience. Uh, and then I did that throughout the pandemic uh, and tried to be like a leader. Uh, and, and that was kind of fun, but also terrible. Uh, it was or like really stressful, like having these people who kind of report to you and feeling it's like getting 10 kids that you don't love in a way like you yeah. you really feel like the responsibility for people and and they come to you with your with your problems and their kind of grievances and you have to kind of fix things and and i kind of felt like i did it well but it really t- took a toll on 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 me in, mm. so so uh, it doesn't seem like the ideal position to be in to develop humor and comedy no it was, I was mentally really men- mentally exhausted yeah. and, and then, and then every, everything was closed in a way so it was okay to kind of spend your focus there yeah but then when the society kind of op- opened uh, in the fall of 2021 mm. then I was like okay now i'm i'm doing it like i, I don't want to be in a job where i kind of feel like this and i also want to test this comedy thing and now like before I before we get kids and stuff, then I I, I really want to try this. So I, I I went to my boss and was like, okay, I wanna I wanna quit. Mm. Uh, and he was like, you can get like a one year one year leave of absence if you want to, like so you can come back if it doesn't work out. And I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, so you took that. Yeah, I took took that. Ah, uh, so you had a safety net kind yeah, of thing. Yes, so now I have a, I still have have it. Uh, uh, so, but, but you're not I, gonna go back. I haven't decided yet, but uh, you can't n- go back, bro. <laughs> you know <laughs> that. But for now, at least, I'm 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 happy about how my life is. So perfect. We'll see. But I'm, I'm I'm I've set like a date into the future where I'm gonna decide. So yeah. I'm trying not to think about it that no, much. No, no, no. Uh, and and do you have like a certain amount of um? You know, when you when you quit, uh, did you have? Did you say okay? I gotta save up a bunch of money. Did you have like a financial plan? Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of saved up so I had at least I could go like. Worst case, let's say if I'm really smart, four or five months without any pay. Yep. And that was that. That was kind of smart because I, then I I, I uh, hand hand I, I kind of quit then in September and then uh, from January then I would be kind of full time comedian and then like the Omicron yeah, variant came yeah. so everything closed again. Yeah. So actually, first of January, first day as in my new life, it was almost not allowed to do comedy no everything was shut down until maybe like march or something yeah like mid-february i guess or something yeah um so so then it was nice to have like a safety net uh yeah but uh yeah now so i did like my my first kind of special or like solo show what you say uh in, in may and i've gotten like a writing gig for tv writing humor uh okay okay so you're surviving through comedy but in different forms of comedy. Yeah. So you're getting paid to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. And you're also getting paid to write comedy. Yeah. Gotcha. All so right. That, that's so that, great. So that's kind of what, what I also wanted to. I, I, I uh, if I could choose, I, w- I would rather kind of spend more time during the day writing comedy than having to do all these like corporate gigs. Gotcha. At because night. at least you're still in the comedy mindset. Yeah. You're still working on producing humor. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, that's good. That's refreshing. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's really... So now I really enjoyed kind of that, that and, combination. Yeah, that's good. And what is the split of income when it comes to performing and when it comes to writing? Are you making more money writing or are you making more money performing? Is it a, What's the percentage there? Um, I guess like this month, for example, mm -hmm. I'm writing... I, I'm earning maybe... Like seventy percent is from the from the writing, mm -hmm. and thirty percent from the stage uh, time. Yep. But then for the year as a whole, depends on kind of uh, if I get get a new contract uh, at the firm, firm I'm writing for. Then uh, I guess like full year it will be somewhere closer to fifty fifty maybe. Yep. Uh, depending on kind of how Christmas and uh, all these like, Christmas parties and stuff go. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's good because uh, for people that are listening that are comedians right yeah. like you're kind of like one of the uh test bunnies for this because yeah. <laughs> you know a, a, a lot of comedians at least that you know i perform with i know i've spoken to them and that's kind of the goal one day yeah you know a lot of them want to do in the future what you're doing now yeah so what is your kind of roadmap for generating money through stand-up is it uh like you mentioned christmas is there like a, a market there for comedians at uh, yulebord christmas parties things like that yeah so th there's several ways like of because you, you have like, these like club nights where you like we talk about the joke factory then you get maybe a thousand kroners from doing that which mm. is not it, it's nice but it's not nothing you you can kind of live from so if you want to make like a monthly kind of income that can uh, sustain uh, living mm -hmm. uh, then then you need to either do, do, then do 50 of those shows which is not possible uh, mm -hmm. a month uh, or find gigs that can kind of pay a bit more and then there's e either then you can do like corporate gigs like you come to Christmas parties or kickoffs or or uh, uh, summer uh, parties or conferences and stuff so I, I do like I'm a I, because I have this like background in advertising and marketing, then I can kind of come to these events and do like a funny, uh, a funny uh, talk about marketing, gotcha. for example, to a, to a marketing crowd. Yeah. Uh, or I can come to a Christmas party and just like do straight stand up about the company. Mm. But also like arranging things yourself. Like that's what I've kind of when I did my my own show. Then actually, if you sell them. Uh, like 200 tickets to at 250 kroners per ticket that's like a decent chunk of money actually yeah definitely uh, and if you do them club nights or when me and Ahmed and Lauritz and Halvar kind of tra travel around and we, we charge a bit more mm -hmm. uh, per, per ticket but then we also kind of end up if we sell them 300 tickets or when we're in Bergen we sell also like 800 tickets over four days nice then at 250 kroners per, per ticket, that's some serious money, actually. So, yeah, and, and, and I realize that that's not an option for everyone, but actually, just like, um, arrange like not like arranging uh, comedy nights that are not just like you do it. I feel like a lot, a lot of people just like do we have this show every week mm -hmm. and it's free, and, and it's uh, who, who, whoever who wants can come and do it, which is really nice because you need that to develop, yep. If you know then how to arrange things, you should also then see a, can, can I do like a proper, a proper night, which is a bit more expensive, um, where it's a bit better lineup, and we we share the profits uh, among the pe people who who show up, and we do like proper marketing, and we go all in on actually like filling 
200 seats yeah uh, which is possible because people just want to see comedy in a way mm. uh, and that, that can be a really nice way to kind of make some extra money that, that month I, I feel like what is kind of um happening at the moment at least with like uh, my generation of comedians is that people are getting better at organizing things yeah you know what i mean like you're really seeing that yeah. like there's things that are popping up all the time like whether it's a revolver or whether it's uh you know somewhere in gamlebjorn people are like really going okay we need to try to make yeah. this happen for ourselves yeah and uh you know they uh, whether it's for free or whether it's for money they're getting those organization skills yeah which is i think super critical for success yeah, it is like, and you really have to enjoy doing that. Like, I feel like some some of the nights that have been arranged before, at least, have been more about people really want the stage time. So they they like uh, they talk to a bar or a place, and they they're allowed to come there, but they don't really they don't really do any of the things that makes it a good show. So they, they don't really uh, promote it that well, or and they don't arrange kind of the venue so it's optimal for comedy. Mm. They don't like put any pressure on the owners of the place to make sure that the sound and and the lighting and everything kind of works out and then uh they kind of miss out on the most important kind of marketing that is when it comes to doing the shows and is that every show you do have to be good enough so that people want to come back yeah and that's i think that's like the most common mistake is that they 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 kind of commit to doing a show every week or every other week and then there's not enough good comedians to actually fill the lineup every week. So so uh, then you have some shows where just like the comedians are off or the lineup are off and, and they don't promote it that, that well and they the venue doesn't work. So it just means that when people come to a show and watch it and if they don't like it, they don't come back. Gotcha. And then usually they tell other people that they're friends with that, oh, that, that show kind of sucked. Yeah, and then suddenly, like, if you have fifty audience members in, and they talk to two people each, that's like two hundred fifty people. Suddenly, that's like, okay, we're not go going to that. Mm. But if you do nights like not that often, like let's say you do one a month or one every other month, but every night is just like killer. Killers. There's really good comedians, and you do proper marketing, and everything is just like build up to make that night perfect. Mm. Then those fifty who come, they will tell people to come next time they will bring friends next time and then suddenly you have like a thing that rolls yeah like uh what journeys has done with hangover which is then is, is every, every week but it's, it's only always really great people mm. you kind of build that crowd now it's almost sold out yeah. right, right away and that's not just because journeys is journeys and good at doing comedy but he really kind of he created that vibe around that show that makes it just like feel like some, something special yeah Man, I love Jonas. This, this is the first time I ever met Jonas. It was after a hangover show. Yeah. And we were just there drinking. And then he just stands up and goes, drinks for everybody. <laughs> and then just went to the bar and then just came back with pitcher and pitcher yeah. and pitcher on the bar. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking legend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just doing something like, I mean, I knew him from before from on stage. Yeah. But then that was my first interaction with him where he just puts this pitcher down on the table in front of me. Yeah. I was like, fuck, this guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Holy shit. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Yeah. Um, one last kind of question that about um, <clears throat> marketing because you have a, a background in advertising and marketing. Yeah. What do you think comedians need to do to market themselves as comedians better? Um, that, this is something that I, I struggle with myself as well, e even though I kind of, 
I haven't if if I would can look at myself as a client yeah. in a way like then I I, I would kind of say to myself like okay you have to figure out like what is uh, you, you talk about this like unique selling point like what's unique about you that's kind of uh, that's uh, different from others and what's kind of uh, what, what what are you as good as others are doing like mm -hmm. you talk, talk about like what, what what are your parities with others and what, what are your differences um, and then I would kind of look at myself and be like okay so if if I don't then have something that I'm kind of positively different at doing because then then I have to kind of develop that and kind of build that brand in a way mm. but that that kind of feels a bit awkward like I I I, I you you have like some people who kind of done it naturally, where you have like uh, Jonas Berglund, who's kind of he's he's like the doctor comedian in a way. Like he yeah. he, he he's a doctor, and then his shows uh, it's called Doctor Berglund, and he does stand up among uh, about being a doctor and med medical things and and other things as well. But that's kind of the selling point. And then he's also a really good comedian. Yep. So then pe people kind of, okay, okay uh, I know uh, that's the doctor guy. Then I come to see him and it's, he's really good. So then it's really, then it's like the whole kind of thing comes together. Uh, but for me, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know kind of what thing to choose. I can be like, ah, oh, Marius, that's the guy who likes horses. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, he's the horse comedian. It's the horse, uh, guy. horse yeah, whisperer. Yeah. yeah, and then I can do like an hour about horses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, it, for me, it still feels like uh, it has to, has to be, I have to manufacture it in a way. So, I, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm like my marketing strategy is just like I'm hoping that I'll become good enough and kind of also develop personally enough to be perceived as unique. Gotcha. Uh, and that, that's not really kind of a sound way of uh, de developing a brand. No. Uh, so I guess I should kind of find some way of figuring out what to do. And I, I think that's, the, if you would kind of apply marketing theory to comedians, yep. that's the way to go about it in a way. Like you can you make a really good product. Yeah. Like you can hone your skill. Yeah. But if you're not, if you don't have that hook on why should people come and see you specifically. Yeah. Then it doesn't really then you help that much in terms of filling kind of uh, seats yeah. in a theater. Okay, so kind of develop some kind of um, like would you say an image or like yeah, a, an yeah. angle? Uh, and what about your um, use of social media as a tool to promote yourself? Do you, I, I know, say like uh, Horvath. Halvard. Yeah. He he's really good at uh, making uh, videos uh, on TikTok yeah. and uh, Instagram reels. Yeah. He pops up in my feed all the time. Yeah. And he's always like, you know, from one show I could see like three or four different yeah. videos. Yeah. He just has the phone there and he's just recording and it's just TikTok, TikTok, reels, reels, reels. Yeah. Is, is that something that you do? Is that something that you think is a successful strategy? Yeah, I, 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 it's it's obviously like a successful strategy for Halvard because it's it's really kind of you, we we feel it when we travel around that people like me and him travel quite a bit together and then really feel like okay people have seen his TikToks and his Instagram and he's he has a, a specific look like with his hair and everything so he's really recognizable mm. and then people oh yeah it's the guy with the hair and uh, who roasts people in the audience like they they can want to come and see him yep and and uh and like the biggest i feel like the biggest learning to take from him him is what what you say is like about like the consistency like he 
he puts out a video every day. Yeah. He videotapes all the shows. Mm. He he like when we're we can be out drinking uh, and then he's like, oh, I have to go back to my room to just uh, text the video and I'll, I'll I'll be right back because he he prioritized that because he knows that like he ha- if he does it every day, yeah, the share volume of just like videos and content will at some time some point break through. Mm. That's kind of what happened with him and. I'm 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 also putting out some videos, but not to that consistency at all. So yeah, I, I guess I put out a video, and some of some of them gets a lot of views, but then I, I don't have enough content, so I don't do it again for, uh, three weeks, and then you never build the momentum. You never kind of yeah, uh, and and of course he's also really good at what he does. So there's also it's like quality yeah, uh, but it's all it's both kind of the quality of it and the consistency, and then he's also good good at doing it. And it seems like a lot of what he does is stuff when he's maybe he's a, as an MC, yeah, and he's like he's so he's not he's, he's not burning through any of his material. Uh, it's always just stuff where he's interacting with crowd members. Yeah, so you can probably like uh, you know do that stuff. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. but is that because he is MCing a lot, or is that like? Are they parts of his set where he'll just say, "Okay, now I'm interacting with the audience"? Or um, it, he's 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 emceeing a lot. He's uh, uh, but it, for example, if he's uh, the MC at Lattir mm. for one week, then he has maybe let's say nine shows. Yeah, and records the whole of the nine shows. Yeah, so he's got a lot so of he has material. Like, just like six hours of material just yeah, from that exactly that week yeah and then if you can use them and he needs one minute per reel mm. then suddenly that that's one week can kind of fill half a year yeah if, if it's kind of good enough yeah and he's become really kind of poignant at kind of creating those situations and mm. kind of thinking you can see like one on, on he's on stage he's almost thinking in terms of okay this is a tiktok segment now yeah and then he finishes it like almost a joke mm. in terms of that it's, it's kind of wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, it's it's a really kind of uh, he's really smart and and, and good, good about that. I, I think so because I think as the MC, it's you can produce a lot of content because one of the things that when I'm talking to comedians about their social media is they don't want to publish jokes. No. They, they don't want to say oh, I'm going to put this joke out because I want to do this joke for the next six months. Yeah. So they find themselves in a situation where they don't want to publish any of the content that they have. Yeah. And I always, my view is like, I think it's totally fine for you to publish some of the content that you have, especially maybe you write some stuff that you don't mind kind of just putting it out there. If it's topical, like now it's pride. Okay, do some pride shit or 17th of May, do some 17th of May shit. Yeah. And then uh, burn through it because you don't want to be in a situation where you're trying to market yourself as a comedian and then be afraid to put the stuff out that's supposed to market you. Like it's a weird kind of, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But it feels like what Harvard's doing as the MC and just doing crowd work and putting that stuff out. That's yeah. really, really sticking. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like he cracked that code, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and and, and it's, it's kind of the nice thing about put, putting out material is to, because you also say to yourself that, okay, I, I can make something better. Yeah. Like actually, actually being uh, daring to, okay, this is a really good joke that I have, but I, I'm not, I'm, putting it out, out on Instagram and now it's gone yeah. uh, in a way uh, and you probably most people won't see it so you can still do it but exactly but like mentally like okay I'm, I'm, I'm done done with this with this joke that's also a nice way to kind of force yourself into writing some something new so mm. and actually just realizing that like uh, just because you wrote this one good joke doesn't mean that that's the last good joke you'll write exactly. probably you'll hate 
like be like, cringing at that joke in three years because oh, that's not you, as good as I am now. Yeah, you get so much better over time. Yeah. 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 Huh. Shit. All right, Marius. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you. Dude, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, same. And, uh, you know, man, I could talk to you forever about comedy. <laughs> I, I love having these kind of like uh, intellectually, you know, stimulating conversations about analyzing something that I'm really passionate about. So uh, thanks. Yeah, for, same. Thanks for being a guest, bro. Thank you. Okay. See you later, everybody. Mwah.